This is The Social Geek Radio Network. And welcome to Social Geek Rockstar Edition. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing conciliac. Big show today. First up, Sarah Bush, IFA's new general counsel, shares the latest updates on what the FTC and the federal government are up to fighting small businesses. Then Ingrid Schneider, Patty Rother, and I chat about the recent LinkedIn algorithm changes and how you can reach more people. Today's episode is brought to you by ServiceMinder, Answer Connect, Hughes, and the discussions start next after I grab another cup of Big B Coffee. Big B Coffee started with a single store in Michigan in March of 1995. One year later, on a handshake, Bob Fish and Michael McFall decided to franchise the concept. Bigby is on a mission to become 100% farm direct, bringing a name, a face, and a place to every cup of coffee served through the One Big Island in Space initiative. Interested in owning your own Bigby coffee? Begin building a life you love with Bigby coffee by visiting bigbyfranchising.com. With a bit of an update on the franchise industry, today we're talking with Sarah Bush. She's the general counsel for the International Franchise Association. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me. How long have you been with the IFA now? Um, I've been in this role with IFA since February of this year, um, but I've been involved with the IFA for over a decade um, in various capacities with law firms and franchise brands. So you worked with brands and you've worked for law firms. Now you're with the association. So you've kind of got all three legs of that stool underneath you at this point, right? Yes. (laughs) So I wanted to find out about what's going on with franchising with the FTC. I understand there are some deadlines coming up of, of some things that we want to get more franchisors and franchisees involved in. First of all, Tell us about the FTC. It's one of those scary three-letter government (laughs) agencies that we all hear about that we know affects us in some way, but what exactly does the FTC do and and why should franchising care? So the the FTC is the Federal Trade Commission. Um, It's it's a, a, a federal agency that's tasked with enforcement of certain laws. So um, the Federal Trade Commission doesn't make new law. Um, Their congressional authority is to enforce laws. And so in connection with that authority, um, they can do investigations, um, you know, that are that are looking at whether um, certain industries or certain practices violate laws. Um, And then they can do what's called rulemaking that will add clarity around what certain laws are intended to do or protect. Um, and uh, the, the, F, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is, is usually comprised of um, five commissioners. And of those five commissioners, no more than three can be from um, a specific party. What's unique about where we are right now is that there are two vacant seats. And so the only sitting commissioners are all um, appointed to democratic seats of the FTC. And so we don't have a bipartisan FTC right now, and we have not um, for at least the last year. Will that change or will it take another election to come through before that number of seats and and who's in those seats before that changes? So, so commissioners are appointed by um, the president and then confirmed by the Senate. 
um, given where we are. <laughs> we don't expect the current administration to be in a big hurry to um, appoint additional commissioners to the FTC. So we are where we are for right now. And where we are right now, let's talk about that a little bit. What's the behavior of this current FTC like? What are they doing and, and how are they how are they acting towards things that are of interest to us, including franchising? So, Jack, that's a really interesting question. And um, and if you listen to congressional hearings, which I encourage everyone to do because they're fascinating <laughs> about um, how our laws are made and by whom. Um, but um, Lena Khan, who's, who's the chair of the FTC currently, um, has been questioned multiple times recently about um, activity of the FTC, um, the, the general morale. There's been very high turnover of FTC staff recently, um, and the, uh, the initiatives and the activity of the FTC have, have been um, very inconsistent with commissioners in the past, um, you know, unrelated to franchising. There have been um, questions by members of Congress um, regarding, uh, you know, the FTC's authority to take the actions that they've been taking and um, whether uh, Lena Khan is acting in the best interest of business or, the, or within the authority that the FTC was granted. So what led us to our chat today was a couple of months ago, a request for information came out from the FTC. And I understand there's some, there are some deadlines and, and maybe a call to action that we want to throw out there to some people in franchising to um, get a few things out there on the record and, and make business owners' voices heard. What can you tell us about this request for information and, and really what's behind all of this? Sure. Um, well, just taking a, a brief step, step back, um, the current franchise rule that most people in franchising are familiar with is um, regulated and, and enforced by the FTC. And the franchise rule relates to the franchise sales process. So all of the information that's included in the FTD that's provided to prospective franchisees when they're deciding whether or not to buy a franchise. Um, the scope of the request for information that was issued in March of this year um, really touches a, a very broad scope of everything related to the franchise relationship. So essentially everything that happens um, after the franchise agreement is signed um, during the course of development and operation of a franchise business. Um, and, and so Responses to that request for information are due on June 8th. Um, you can submit those re the responses at regulations.gov. Um, responses don't have to be prepared by an attorney. They don't have to be formal. Um, it really is just an opportunity to share with the, the FTC your franchise story, um, why it's important that we have responses is because the, the FTC to issue rules has to have a rulemaking record. And, and that's what gives them the authority um, to, to issue rules and to issue what we think is, is coming is um, a, a rule around franchise relationships. Um, if, if all that they're responding to are, you know, a few dozen anecdotal stories um, from unhappy franchisees, then that's all, those are the only guardrails that they have on any action that they take. Um, and, and IFA's position um, is that, you know, we acknowledge that franchisors and franchisees disagree, um, but we all agree that we're pro-franchising. And, and that's really the message that, um, that we wanna communicate out is that we're working together we're all pro-franchising. The model works um, when it's done right. I think what you said about the unhappy franchisees out there is something I want to I want to dive a little deeper on that. It feels like we read way more about unhappy franchisees 
than what is actually happening in reality. When I go out to every city in America and talk to franchisors and franchisees, I hear a much different story. You know, the the squeaky wheels are definitely out there. And that's probably who the FTC and other agents of the government hear from. So what we want to do is share some good stories and and maybe maybe just some some middle of the road stories and tell people what it's it's actually what is actually happening out there. I saw some information from IFA that um was uh, I believe this was uh, from a franchise business review survey and and this was really interesting. 88% of franchisees report they enjoy being part of their franchise organization. That's amazing to me, right? 88% of Americans don't agree on anything. So a, a, to have franchisees at an 88% level say they enjoy being part of the organization, and I think the other one that jumped out at me was 8 out of 10, 80% of franchisees would recommend their franchise brand to others. So anytime you hear about you know unhappy franchisees and lawsuits from franchisees to uh, to the brand remember that that's one story but there are you know 8 out of 10 franchisees would recommend their brand to someone else and i think that's part of the story that lawmakers and and their staffs and and the agencies they just don't hear enough about that so so maybe now we can we can do something about that Right. That's that's a wonderful point. We do a bad job of um, telling everyone else how how great our community is. Um, and and I you know, a lot of that is just the functions by which the FTC receives information. Right? There's there's a FTC complaint portal and it's not <laughs> a share information about what's going on in your system. Um, there's also open hearings that the FTC holds to go and share public information and it's, you know, and, and that's allegedly where, where they get other information. Um, but, and, and I think you're referring to the economic output report that, yeah. um, I, that IFA issues every year in connection with FRAN data um, that does very extensive research on um, the franchise model and all of the industries that operate in the franchise model. Um, and, you know, and as franchisors and franchisees um, and, and suppliers to franchise systems are responding to the RFI because the RFI is very broad in, in who may respond. And it's, you know, it's franchise companies and franchisees, it's academics, it's employees, it's consumers. And so it's wide open. Um, but but I think there's you know there's a real misperception of what franchising is, and um, you often hear the misnomer that franchising is an industry. Um, it's not. It's it's a model, yeah. and it's a model used by over three hundred industries and tens of thousands of franchise systems within those three hundred industries, um, and those franchise systems are at various stages of maturity. And so um, for us and for our members, the best place to manage relationships is within your franchise system because that's that's what works. The idea that you could craft this one size fits all rule that would apply to all brands and all industries, um, it's just not workable for, for what franchising is and, and for, what all the systems are. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the call to action and, and what we're hoping everyone will do with that RFI in, in just a few minutes. But first, let's let's take a hard look at, at where this could go if we don't reach out and tell our side of the story and, and how 88% of, of franchisees are actually enjoying what they do and all of those good stories that that, uh, that we we're all familiar with inside of franchising, maybe maybe not outside of franchising yet. Where do you see this going if the FTC has its way and and we we lose a battle with NLRB and and so many other things that could go wrong over the next year and a half or two years? Where do you think we're going to end up? 
So I'm glad you mentioned the NLRB um, because the, the FTC and the NLRB executed a memorandum of understanding um, for the, the two agencies to share information with each other, cooperate with each other. And so um, while, while they have separate agendas, they feel like um, it feels like they're advancing down parallel paths. Um, you know, for, for franchising to be boxed in to more regulation, um, you know, with respect to relationships that doesn't make sense, um, you know, economic sense or, or just, you know, operational, is operationally workable for a franchise system, coupled with this continuing transfer of um, risk and liability to a franchisor for the actions of the franchisee with respect to its employees. Um, I, you know, I don't, uh, we don't know how it would go any direction, but franchisors starting to scale back franchising. And so, uh, I mean, it's, um, if you think about the economics of a franchise, um, most royalties are, are around 6%. Mm -hmm. So the franchisor is keeping 94. I mean, the franchisee is keeping 94% of its revenue. Um, and, and that's because the franchisee is, is absorbing a lot of risk. And, but if, if you shift all of that risk onto the franchisor, if the franchisor is now having to make sure that all the hiring decisions and the firing decisions and the training and everything is done appropriately, um, then, then why would they not just operate their own corporate units? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If we have so, to be Starbucks, we'll be Starbucks. Right. <laughs> and, and, and keep a hundred percent. Right. And it's, and that's, that's so disappointing for everything that that franchising has become and the significant role that it's played, um, but, you know, both in, in the economy on a broader scale and then when you think about the individual stories, um, I really enjoy this role so much because I enjoy the interaction with the franchisees that I get to have on a continuing basis. Um, IFA has, you know, the, the chair of our board is a franchisee. We have a number of franchisees that sit on our board and, and the stories are so powerful because it's, um, it's entrepreneurs, it's, um, you know, independent thinkers and innovators and, and they're driven and, and resilient and strong. And they elected to exercise those entrepreneur, entrepreneurial endeavors, um, through franchising. And so the, the continued, um, characterization of franchisees as, as prey and, um, you know, as a, a population in need of protection and, um, you know, defense is such a huge disservice to who they are and what they are. Um, and so those are the stories. I hear the stories and, and you know, the stories are shared at, um, you know, our events throughout the year. Um, those are the stories that we just need to tell more. Excellent. And where can we tell those stories and respond to what the FTC is asking right now? And what is the deadline? Um, the deadline is June 8th. So it is coming up very quickly. Um, responses can be directly um, submitted on the FTC's website at regulations.gov. Um, if you need assistance finding where to respond, please contact the IFA. We're here to support you. Um, you know, in addition to responding to this RFI, we encourage um, we encourage communication, contact with elected officials in your state. Let them know that you're concerned about um, the activity of the FTC. Urge them to exercise congressional oversight over the FTC's actions. And also take the opportunity to, ex to educate lawmakers in your state about what franchising is and how it's played a role in your life.
Hughes powers the networks that people and franchises everywhere depend on. Hughes enables franchises to attract and retain more customers and create consistent brand experiences across locations. And once the right network is in place, franchises can further use their existing equipment, like providing secure Wi-Fi for guests or deploying digital signage to engage customers. A secure, high-performing network can protect a franchise against data breaches and the harm they can cause the brand and business. Hughes is small enough to care, large enough to succeed. Reach out and find out how Hughes can become your networking partner. Call Carl Udler at 301-601-6427 or visit Hughes.com slash franchise. ServiceMinder is the platform for managing and operating home services brands, from tracking marketing efforts to delivering professional online proposals directly to clients, to lead capture, to automating daily tasks. ServiceMinder provides unique tools and integrations designed to make your brand stand out from competitors. See why ServiceMinder currently supports more than 50 home services franchise brands and integration partners. Book a demo today at serviceminder.io. I had a chance this week to sit down with Patty Rother of The Now Massage and Ingrid Schneider of Stay In Your Lane. We're talking about what's working and what's not working on LinkedIn with the new algorithm changes. So get ready for a fun conversation. What the analytics is showing me, though, is that because I'm up so much right now, and because it's broken, that maybe they don't even know what they're doing on the back end. Wait, you're saying LinkedIn, owned by Microsoft, might not know what it's doing? How dare you? Well, things are broken <laughs> right now, so I'm just a small guess. I don't know. Could Somebody's be. Somebody's made a mistake somewhere. Well, I wonder what's going on in the world of LinkedIn, and that's really why I wanted to have both of you join me today, because... I just don't get what's going on after this change in algorithms that has happened sometime. I don't know. When did this start? Was we it think in March, we March think of in 2023. March. Okay. Yes. And what do we think happened so far? Have we found any official word on what or why LinkedIn changed an algorithm? Well, I've seen some posts about AI killing killing the algorithm which is really interesting um and chat gpt so um we know that promoted company posts are up so it went from 18 percent in 2018 to 26 percent of our feed in 2020 and now it's 35 percent meaning one of three posts is now pushed in our feed by money so that's one thing we're seeing a lot more promoted posts um also, there's so many more content creators, and I yeah. use air quotes that you guys can't see. So, um, I mean, I have creator mode on. Do you guys all have creator mode on? Mm-hmm. I do. Patty, do you? Yeah, I do. How long have you had creator mode on, both of you? I've probably had it on. A couple years. Yeah, definitely. When it first kind of rolled out and there really wasn't a benefit to yeah. it at the time, I think now there's definitely more tools and things you can do with creator mode. Um, I think actually, if I remember correctly, creator mode was available when you hit a certain threshold of followers. followers I think yeah. it was 5,000. I, I want to yeah. say that number sticks out for some reason, though I could be thinking of another social media channel from 10 years ago, but I think no, 5,000. Right? I think it's, yeah, it's 5,000 combined like followers and connections yeah. is what I believe it is. Okay. So and I do think, either uh, of you see a value in uh, outside of the the tools that you have? Do you think creators are getting more or less traction when it comes to reach? Or do you think that does not matter in, in what you've found so far this month? I think um, what it does is it allows you to be more engaged and uh, intentionally go in and interact with things that are relevant to you. So what I use when it shows me certain analytics, 
Um, if I have new followers or new connections and I can see who they are interacting with those people in a unique way, um, I find helpful. And then, you know, understanding the analytics behind posts and figuring out what's working and what's not. I think that's a super valuable tool outside of, you know, my ability to have a newsletter, which I don't, um, my ability to do like <laughs> LinkedIn live, which I've never tried. So there's also a bunch of stuff that I haven't utilized that I haven't tested out that I'd be curious to know about. Um, so I don't know that I'm using creator mode to like the, the 100% threshold. I think I may be like a 50% threshold on there, but yeah, definitely I, using the analytics and tools has been helpful to me. I feel the same way about some of those, those other tools like LinkedIn live. I'm I'm going to sound like um, one of your worst customers who says, Oh, we tried LinkedIn live and it didn't work. And, and then I look back and it's like, yeah, I tried it once. It was uh, like March or April of 2020. <laughs> and so it might be time to try it again. The world has changed a couple of times since then. Yeah. So, so you've both been experimenting with a new cadence of posting. Tell me about that. How many times a, a day or week are you posting and, and what kinds of posts are you doing now during this great experiment? Well, to back up a little bit, I think the three of us had had this conversation numerous times via text of like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, yeah. And and to say that I care because a lot of my business comes from LinkedIn and also people see my business over and over and over again. And I want to be known as a thought leader and I want to show my skills and I want to be um, proven as a leader, right? So it's, LinkedIn's a great way to do that. And we all want that in some regards. Um, it's not an ego thing, but it's, you know, we're a really tight knit community in the franchising space. And one of the ways we do connect and communicate really well is through LinkedIn. So when it hurts our algorithm and we're not being seen as much, it's a bummer, right? Like, why aren't we being shown to our friends even? Yeah. So people miss posts of mine, right? And I, there's a little easy way you can solve that um, is by putting that, checking that little um, bell in the corner on the right-hand side. If you really like somebody, follow them and turn their post notifications on so you see what they're posting. But going back to your question, um, we we all kind of took a different route, you, Patty, and I. I think Patty and I's route was more similar. We'd been watching Gary V post three, five, seven times a day and seeing, and it's a time suck. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah. And it's also like, okay, I've got to think about something really great right now and not just shit post. And shit posting is when you just post things that nobody really cares about. And it's posting for posting. It's a, it's a term that they use in the IT world. My boyfriend talks about it all the time. It's hysterical. <laughs> um, he, he'll call people shit posters. I'm like, oh, that person's just a shit poster. Like nothing that they ever put up is great. <laughs> So, and you can beat me out if you want to, Jack. No, I th <laughs> I think that's going to be a an official term in um, digital marketing now is just hashtag shit posting. Maybe maybe we should do an experiment where we're we're hashtagging something with yeah. shit posting post. to see how well it does. Right. <laughs> Trending hashtag. <laughs> so, um, you know, Patty and I both started posting three times a day and, and it was a lot of work. I'll tell you that too. But like, also I scheduled posts, which I had never done before. Cause I thought that organic traffic was the most important. And I didn't schedule because I thought that the algorithm would ding me for it. What I've learned is that the algorithm is dinging me now, whether I schedule posts or whether I don't, it doesn't matter. It's a moot point. We used to have to really be involved and, and dig in after we posted and I've also looked at algorithms when I haven't dug in. I just posted something and like left LinkedIn and posted something. And when I was like really cognitive about like going through and scrolling and commenting and liking other people's posts, which is what we thought we had to before. And there is no difference anymore. It's, that's, it's a move. So, oh, that's a big point. There's no difference if you go in and, and cause I, I see this all the time where there's one comment reply on every comment. And it's the author who's just saying, you know, great see you soon, whatever, right? It's it's almost like the, it's the LinkedIn version of have a great summer, stay cool, right? You just feel like you have to write BFF. something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love you like a sis, Lilas. I think um, too, to, to continue to back up, like as an example, I think I, every time I would post, you know, I was maybe posting two to three times a week. 
And one of them, those was usually either repost or something about the now specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them were usually some kind of note about the other things that I'm passionate about. So whether it's working mom, LGBTQ, something that I'm working on, like a new podcast or, you know, the pride webinar, but I was a pretty frequent two to three time a week and they were thoughtful and thought through and, you know, not, not shit posting. Um, and then I would do the standard, like I post it and then I hang out on LinkedIn and I interact with some things and leave some thoughtful comments and, you know, make sure I'm liking and interacting with some other posts and generally would find that my posts easily got over a thousand impressions, usually upwards of three or four, um, and a good amount of, you know, interaction, whether it was likes or comments. And then about a month and a half ago, that same tactic all of a sudden just was not working. Meaning like within days, I would still have 300 impressions, maybe 500 if I got lucky. And it was, that's when we all started having this conversation, like what the hell is going on with LinkedIn? And in February, they rolled out a ton of new features. And my guess is that if you're not using like the LinkedIn standard features, you're kind of getting dinged for it. The same way that if you post something with like a hundred hashtags or you post something that they think is spammy, you, you just get kind of blacklisted. <laughs> like nobody right. sees that post or something um, with a lot of links that take you away from LinkedIn. That exactly. that's what we've all been afraid of for so long. And, and that's been a really hard thing for a lot of people who want to share something valuable, whether it's an article or a blog, or hopefully this podcast. And, um, and you want to share it with your friends, but, Oh, the, the experts say you can't share a link on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. Literally the word the link is in the, in the name of the platform, but you can't share a link there or you're yeah. going to get in trouble for it. Okay. Got it. So part of my experimenting was like, all right, let me try and use some of the new tools that LinkedIn just rolled out. So like Ingrid and I were scheduling posts. That's a new feature on LinkedIn. And we were like, let's just try it and it'll mm-hmm. post. And I won't be on LinkedIn to interact with people once it posts. Let's just see how it does. Um, I tried posting videos. So I'm one of the admins on the women's committee page. Um, Auto captioning is a new thing that LinkedIn just rolled out and it's actually pretty darn good. So let's try that. Let's try a selfie because apparently selfies on LinkedIn perform really well. So I tried a bunch of different content posts. I also tried, they have a template um, that you can use where it just like gives you a background, kind of like an Instagram story idea. You just type some text on it. You can actually create a link right in that template, Jack, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Mm. So I did that for an MUSC post and the link was out to my Calendly to set up a meeting. Um, that post performed really, really well. And there was nothing sexy or cool about it. It was just that I used a LinkedIn you know, feature to do that. And so I think what happened was LinkedIn rolled out all these cool new tools and then somewhat penalized anybody who just doesn't use their tools and was rewarding the folks that started to use their tools, but they went too far on one side. And yeah. now they're trying to like get themselves back to a more middle ground. Maybe it's like Christmas morning when the kids open up all of their toys and all of the other toys kind of get ignored for a while because we're busy playing with all of the new stuff. Right. Um, that's interesting about the templated things that you were using, including you said for your MUFC post, you said you actually did have a link in that to something outside of LinkedIn going to your your Calendly link, I think you said. So, and you said that did well, even with an external link on it. Yeah, so because it was the LinkedIn template, um, it actually gives you an option to add a URL, which I was surprised by. Um, I had actually seen Gary V do one of these and he mm-hmm. was posting out to like his Gary V friends, you know, membership or whatever that you can be in. Um, And I thought, why not use that and check it out? Um, I'd be curious if you do one of your social geek posts and link the podcast using that template, how well it performs. Okay. Well, I guess that's, uh, that's exactly what we're going to do for this episode. When we publish it, it's (laughs) going to have to be uh, that, that exact template with a link to this show and we'll see how it does. So you were, you were posting uh, upwards of three times a day using some of these new formats and new tools um, what else were you doing in, in the great experiment that was different from what you were doing before? Were you 
Um, I, I think you said you were you were mixing it up as far as business and personal and passions and that kind of thing. Anything else that you sort of added to the experiment, Ingrid? Any anything different that you that you did than what Patty did? Well, I think the main difference is that I had to take a week break because Beatrice, my dog, who is the love of my life, um, was in the ER, well, in the hospital four times in one week. And so I was rushing her back and forth and just didn't have the time to interact. And so um, I think one interesting thing, and I think you can probably speak to this too as well, Jack, is that my best performing post was the week that I was out with her and it was like a week and a half and I posted an update on her. And it was like 5,000, 6,000 almost views, which was the best performing for me. And it was about my dog. And it was about like my personal experience. And she's cute as heck too. So I understand people (laughs) looking at her and understanding that. Um, And she had a little watermelon cone on her head. Um, she had some a surgery in a really unfortunate area so it was really really hard but that post was my biggest interaction for those three or four weeks that we've been trying this and it was in a week that I didn't have a lot of play so I wasn't playing the game I wasn't posting every day because I just didn't have the time or bandwidth I was literally focused on her um, that entire time so that was something interesting that I saw that happened for sure and, and a little bit ironic that the reason you were away from LinkedIn for a few days was actually the same thing that that got the most attention on your LinkedIn profile for a few days yeah and then what spurred on that friend on for you with your post yeah you can talk about that yeah I I um I've been trying to um be a little bit more personable and real and and have some real life stuff on LinkedIn um not just let's talk about digital marketing and franchise development and podcasting um so I shared something which was of uh, going on a week and a half two weeks ago of just me and uh Ingrid and our our friend Allie Krauss and Emily George all sharing pictures of our pets. And it had nothing to do with anything business related other than, you know, we're all kind of in the same industry. And um, other people started sharing their dogs and a few cats. And I think we had one cow and uh, a few other few other critters joining. Kristen's cow, I was dying. <laughs> I died at that. It's like, she wins. Game over. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else is a cow. Yeah. Krista Pahachik for the win right there. (laughs) But, but, you know, it, it did a couple of things. It took this circle of people who know each other's business pretty well. And it introduced us to something, you know, from their personal life. And I think, I think that plus, you know, just a bunch of cute pets, people always love seeing that. Um, I, I think that actually spurred a little bit more, um, uh, entertainment and, and just, it's, it's kind of like you take a little break from, from franchise data and, and digital marketing speak for five minutes and check out somebody's cat, dog, or cow, uh, without having to leave the friendly confines of LinkedIn. Here's the question for you. Should companies be doing that? Like I think about companies that like I have interacted with and worked with, and I think on staying in your lane, we do share some personal stuff. We, talk about our employees and why we like them and are the consultants I shouldn't call employees but like you know what who we like what we like what we're doing different marketing trends different fun things that we see out and about but like should we be sharing more personal stuff on to get more interaction and to drop people into our business pages like is that how do we do that and navigate that well where it's still related to business and it's not just shit posting right yeah. for the sake of shit posting um Maybe Patty, I mean, I have think, an opinion on this. Yeah, and I was reading this really great article about kind of all of these changes and and what was going on and how a lot of content creators who are really genuine are frustrated by it. Um, but the article was basically saying like authenticity on LinkedIn still wins. That the folks who are still being super authentic, who are still talking about being a human, um that those posts are still winning because again, organically, they're going to gain the most traction. I think a lot of us can tell when it's regurgitated content or it's AI created content, or it's like 
you know, salesy and weird um, and not like genuine. I think all of us can see through that really easily. And, and even the, the boosted posts, right? There's a reason you're boosting a post. It's because you want more eyeballs on that. And typically you're, you're trying to get something out of that. So more traction on a website, more sales from a product, you know, more clients, what have you. And I think a lot of us can still see through that. So regardless of LinkedIn pushing content on us, I think we're all still humans interacting with that content. Um, And I do think like, I like the companies that genuinely post like Northeast color just posted, they were doing their um, like in-person event and they were all doing different crafts, (laughs) like paintings. And I love that. I love because it shows me the culture of Northeast color, right? I was jealous actually. Right. I wanted to go experience that. Yeah. It's just a, it's a human post, right? It's showing me that Northeast Color does fun things when they have their team in town. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like personally the companies that show me a little more of that peak and less so the companies that are like really curated and buttoned up and always have absolutely beautiful, stunning photos. And the copy's always like (laughs) just spot on. It, it's, it loses that human touch, I think. Right. Well, we want to do business with people. We don't want to do business mm-hmm. with companies. So I think, I think kudos to those folks who are showing, you know, something that's a, a little bit behind the curtain of, of what's going on. My personal business posts, and, and isn't that weird to say personal business posts um, <laughs> that do the best lately have been when I'm on these uh, client visits with the brand journalist team and we're shooting some video at a location or a franchise location or a corporate headquarters, whatever. And while, while the videographers are doing their thing, I'm, you know, way in the background taking some shots of them doing their thing and our, our folks interviewing the client and the videographers uh, shooting a scene or, or firing up the drone and that kind of thing. And those tend to do really well. Because again, it's not just, here's a stage shot of our client talking about something. It's, here's a behind the scenes look of of our people setting up the lights and the cameras and all of that kind of fun stuff. So I think um, I, I plan to do way more of that. So everybody get ready to see more of that. And, and I also, like I said, I, I want to do more personal stuff from the business pages. And I don't know if it will do well because... I, I think business page posts right now that aren't promoted, nobody's seeing that stuff. But maybe maybe we can try to get a little bit more out there and and maybe we should be promoting with a few dollars some of that more personal stuff on a business page. It's just mm-hmm. it it's pricey though. That's the problem. It it gets Yeah, LinkedIn's minimum is like five hundred dollars for one Yikes. post, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, which is insane. Which which so. it's hard for a lot of a lot of marketing people to say. Hey, we're going to spend $500 on this thing that has a great call to action and is going to drive some traffic and we're going to get some, some signups. Okay. We'll spend 500 on that. Or we're going to spend 500 on this thing that makes us look really human and cool. Well, yeah, you probably should, but that's, wow. That's a hard argument for a lot of people to make with their CEO. So yes, not sure where we're going to go with that. Totally Um, is. My part of the experiment, you guys went the other way and and putting out a lot of great content every day, three times a day. I pulled back over the last couple of weeks and I had been posting six or seven days a week and um, trying not to do too much shit posting, maybe a little here and there, but mostly just, um, you know, sharing content, sharing podcasts, blog articles, you know, spoken word, poetry, whatever, and, and just sharing that six or seven days a week, I pulled back to doing three days a week, specifically Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and doing it the same time every day, nine o'clock central time, 10 o'clock Eastern. And, um, I saw a significant drop in impressions because I wasn't putting as much out I also saw a drop in impressions and reach in um, the individual posts, but I saw a huge increase in engagement. And and I won't say a huge increase. I'll say maybe the ratio 
of engagement was was up. So I would have something that, you know, six months ago I would have expected would have gotten five to ten thousand views, and now it only got one thousand views. However, it got fifty or sixty likes or or comments, which I think we're all seeing the same thing that fewer people are seeing our our content in their newsfeed but more people are engaging with that content when they do see it is is that sort of the 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 direction you're seeing this going right now i mean i think this was interesting when i pulled up my analytics you can show impressions and then you can show engagement and i'm yeah. always surprised that those two things never align yeah mm-hmm. the, the right. posts that i get more engagement on meaning more likes more comments you know, have a ton of people actually interacting with the post aren't always or necessarily the post that has the most impressions, which literally defined just means somebody was scrolling through LinkedIn and my post just scrolled on by. That's an impression. Um, It's different than a view because a view means LinkedIn has to somehow ensure that that person saw it and might have interacted with it in some way or paused enough to actually read what was on there, whether they liked or commented. Um, so impressions is an interesting metric because all it means is I was put into someone's feed. That's it. Yeah. And then the engagement is obviously to me more important only because I'm like, okay, this is resonating with people, you know, impressions to me is like, it resonated with LinkedIn. I'm not sure that that matters to me all that much that Mm -hmm. LinkedIn decided this was the post to put into somebody's feed. Um, that was, that was surprising to me that my highest engaged with post weren't also my highest impression posts. But it could be okay. I, I always fall back on Seth Godin saying you want the smallest viable audience, right? Right. You don't care about the, the 9,000 people who may have seen your post back in the good old days of six months ago, who really weren't ever going to interact with you and have anything to do with your brand, your agency, your personal brand, whatever. But it's, if you did get 500 people who, who did engage with it and maybe 50 of those people commented or shared it or something like that, maybe that's far more important than those 9,000 people that we used to get who just kind of didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think this is going? Is that the future of LinkedIn is is less reach, more engagement? Um, do you think do you think things will change? Do you hope things will change? Or should we just start building our future on kind of what we're seeing with this experiment? You know, I Jack, I'm going back to what I started with with AI changing LinkedIn. There's a guy that I follow named Kevin D. Turner, and he was posting right now about how they're integrating a large language model with with LinkedIn. So they're in beta form right now. And basically it says like it gives content creators and I and a way to post and mm-hmm. to make, you know, their posts with large language models. I actually did a post about this and it's not thought leadership to use AI to write your LinkedIn posts. Um, but they're gonna pre- prevent, they're gonna present the large language model to the content creators to to write their posts. But how does that how does that ding the algorithm? How does that ding what people are saying? How does that make us feel like this person's really an authentic person when they're using AI to write their posts? So um, we have seen a serious drop in engagement maybe because ChatGPT is writing people's posts and people feel like it's unauthentic. unauthentic. And that's what this guy Kevin said in this post. And I really was like, oh, what kind of work right now with the AI models coming out and all these AI tools is LinkedIn doing behind the scenes that we don't know that is affecting our algorithm and affecting what's going on and affecting the posts. So I think it goes back to keeping it real, keeping it human, all of those things we've talked about already. And I don't think we have any answers right now as to really what's going on. Maybe that's the point of this whole podcast is that we don't know. Like we're trying to figure it out, right? As fast as we can. And I think we had it figured out for a long time. Um, yeah. yeah, you post a selfie. Yeah, you post yeah. on Monday morning at eight o'clock. Yeah, this is the best time to do this. And right now we're all kind of scrambling going, what the heck happened? But I think it just goes back to that one thing of like, let's be humans. Let's be real. Don't use AI to create your posts. Like be an authentic creator um, and be a good human. And, yeah. and those things people care about. 
whether yeah. that's dogs, which people, I care about dogs. Like, I want to see your dog. <laughs> yeah. Give me your dog. Patty posted a picture of her birthday this morning with Chloe, which I was dying, by the way, Patty. Her dog's in this photo, which you guys should all go look at this birthday post of hers if you haven't. And her dog, everybody, their, their whole family's around. Sarah and her kids are like all around this cake. Patty's blowing the candles out. And the dog's eyes are like as big as silver dollars. And it's peeking up under the table. And it's like, I, that made my whole morning. So I think it's just being a human, right? Yeah. And it's showing us, it's showing a combination of like, A, here's my worth and what I do for my business. Like, I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm intelligent. Like, I want to be, I did a post about being intimidating. I want you to be intimidated of my work. My work is good. But also like, I'm a human, I'm real. I talked about grief last week. Like, what does it look like to grieve a job? Because we've all gone through that. What does it look like even the aftermath after we're in a new job still dealing with crap that has happened at the old job and like that grief that we have to go through. I still mourn the loss of my body shops mm -hmm. and it's been what three years. Like, but I poured my heart and soul into that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, what does that look like? Um, so just talking and being real and being a human and, and knowing that we can't hack this right now, there's no hacking. And that's the big, that's the thing that's I'm taking away from this is that no matter what I do, Maybe my engagement goes up on this one post and down on this post. And maybe the, the down post is actually the more valuable post. But there's nothing I can do but just to keep presenting myself as authentic and a thought leader and showing the real the real Ingrid. Like, that's what I do on LinkedIn. So. Yeah, I, I think that authentic piece is you're never going to lose by putting out good content, right? And And all of this is going to change and we can we can keep experimenting and maybe figure out something that's working a little bit better right now, but guess what? This thing's going to change again in six weeks and it's going to change again six weeks after that. And especially with the amount of content coming in from people who have just decided, Hey, I'm going to be on LinkedIn now and I'm going to post, you know, 21 times a week and I'm going to use AI to help me with that little task. So we're just going to, have the, the level of noise is going to keep rising. And Ingrid, I think you said 35% of the newsfeed now is, ads. is promoted, right? Mm -hmm. So a third of it is now ads, which that's really high compared to where it was even last year. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that right there is, is going to say that if you're posting it better not be a shit post. It better be something that that somebody wants to see and, and engage with, because uh, if you're not, I, I think I think you're going to be dead in the water on LinkedIn. Well, and I'll call it the brands too that only post their brand stuff. Like we talked about it before. Like I want to know you as a human. That's why I want to do yeah. business with you. Yeah. If I just wanted your brand stuff, I'll just go to your website. Thanks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Like, I don't want to see the vehicle you just wrapped a th thousand freaking times. <laughs> I get that you wrapped the vehicle, post it yeah. once and move on. Right. But like, seriously, I've seen a vehicle wrapped from this one brand six or seven times. And I'm like, enough. Right. Like, cool. You, you wrapped a car. That's great. Like, yeah. like, what is, what, what does that bring to your brand value? The thing that I kept thinking about while, while doing this specific experiment was like, what, what's my goal? Like, what do I want mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and out of LinkedIn and out of all of these thousands of connections that I have and this audience that I am privileged to have? And I think ultimately for me specifically, I want people to know who I am because I think that's really important, especially in a franchise development role. Like I need people to know I'm human and not just like a sales robot. That to me personally is really important to me. Um, when people are going through my sales process, they know me personally. Um, and of course I'm representing my brand in a way that meets those brand standards as well. But it's really, you know, me as a human interacting with you as another human and figuring out if this is a good fit. I think the other thing is I want folks to understand what is important to me and what I'm passionate about and amplify voices that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to be amplified. So when I think about working moms, working moms in high level positions, working moms that don't have the level of support that I have or the privilege that I have. When I think about the LGBTQ community, when I think about Latinas and marginalized people, I want to be having those conversations and maybe pushing some buttons and maybe being a contrarian thought in a bubble that otherwise wouldn't be a contrarian thought. And so those things are really important to me. So as I was experimenting, I was like, listen, impressions, engagement, likes, all of that is like, validating and maybe a little ego boosting. But at the end of the day, 
what are my goals using this platform? And am I achieving those goals? And I think ultimately I am, I see the interactions that I get, you know, I absolutely know I'm pushing some buttons for people. And if one of those impressions is someone who otherwise wouldn't see a gay Latina female franchise executive, amazing, because now they're able to at least see this human in their feed that otherwise wouldn't have come up. And I think for me, the things that ultimately I will continue doing because I saw some success is obviously posting regularly. I am certainly not going to be doing three times a day. That is a lot. (laughs) Um, And nobody's got time for that shit. Um, The second one, though, was really finding content that I find thought provoking and leaving a thought provoking comment. Like I was actually really surprised at how much interaction I got with comments I left on some of the thought leaders that I respect a ton. Um, And so doing more of that, I think, and and setting some time each day just to scroll through and and find those people that I admire and leave a thoughtful comment. Um, And then also, you know, interacting with folks that I respect a ton in the franchise family and just making sure that they get seen and their impressions um, also go up because I value that and I want to see my friends succeed, especially those who are running businesses that I have a ton of respect for. Um, And then the last one that I will put out there is if somebody's looking for a job, help them out, comment on their post, like their post, repost their post. Let's just help other fellow humans get in front of the right people. I think that is wildly important. And all of us can do that. That is a simple one that we should never stop doing. Yeah. And you never know who else is seeing your feed who may have a connection for that person. But um, I want to wrap up with um, sharing a few things that you might find annoying that you want to share with our audience to not do on LinkedIn. So I'll let you guys think about that for a moment. What I will share is this. I love the idea of thoughtful people commenting with thoughtful comments, but what I see a lot of right now, and this is probably, we can, we can always go back and blame Gary V for some things is people who are just commenting for the sake of commenting because someone told them you got to go comment X number of times a day. And I see a lot of people who it's, it's almost like a, I don't know if it's a humble brag or a left-handed comment or whatever you want to call it, but it's like they'll comment on something, but it has nothing to do with what you posted or what you were sharing. It's all about them. Right. And, and I think, I think that's something that we need to get away from. And, and, and if I have any advice for people out there is if you're commenting on somebody's content, make it about their content. Don't make it about, Oh yeah, you know, I'm going to one up you. Right. Or what about this? Or I already did that, or I won't be at this event. I will be at that event. Like that kind of stuff drives me nuts because you, you're kind of pushing down what, that person was putting out there and you're just using this as a place to promote your own business. And that, that just kind of, that's my pet peeve, I guess. Any, any pet peeves from either of you on stuff you just want to share with our friends to maybe help them out a little bit here? I think Patty nailed it on the head when she said um, that we need to engage with people and be thoughtful and engaging. And, And you just said the same thing, but like, like that's a pet peeve of mine when people just say, oh, wow, on my posts. Like, <laughs> yeah. great. Oh, and, wow. And, and right? I will say I've been guilty of that. Like, hey, cool. Thumbs up. Right. Like, I need to stop that. Um, But I think like for me and what bothers me is that like I have to remember and it's my pet peeve about LinkedIn is that it's not my worth. And likes and engagement is like a drug. Right. And we're seeking that dopamine fix. But like at the end of the day. Is that my worth? No. Is that who I'm made of? No. Right? Like, that's just, and and we're all looking for those little tiny dopamine fix, and we need them. Like, we need those dopamine hits. But, like, is it really a good place to find that and to get that? Sometimes. But I would say, like, we need to be, like, more human to human. You post something, Jack, about, like, reaching out to your friends and, like, having conversations. It was a really, like, thoughtful thing that you posted about, a kid who lost its life, his life. Yeah. And it's like, I think the, the thing that irritates me most and even like myself, and I have to set, step back sometimes is like LinkedIn is not my worth and it's not where I need to find my worth. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing that I would say 
irritates me about myself. Um, not that I do find my worth in it, but like I'll I'll be bummed that a post didn't have engagement. And I'm like, Ingrid, this is dumb that you're mad about this. Like you're putting your authentic self out there. Just step back and I'll call myself out there and just step back and just, you know, know that you're doing your best and know that that's your authentic true self posting something silly or posting something really serious. So I think those are my two things that I get annoyed with about LinkedIn. Yeah. Go take a walk instead. So Patty, any closing thoughts on, on stuff you want to veer our friends away from right now? Yeah. I think for me specifically, and it's probably just because of the role that I'm typically in is anything that's like just heavily salesy and a little like cheesy drives me nuts. Um, when anyone is doing like a heavy push or a very obvious push on either, you know, something they're selling or the franchise they're trying to push on people that, that just drives me crazy. I also understand, like, it's hard to find that balance. And I struggle with it constantly when I'm, you know, talking about my brand and trying to position it as a great diversification process or uh, option for somebody. How do I do that in a way that isn't gross? And yeah. isn't, you know, salesy and and somewhat like catering to a certain crowd. And so I get the balance, but, you know, don't, don't be the used car salesman on LinkedIn and don't shit post, I think should be our final thought. Before we go, a quick word from Answer Connect. Everyone has a phone, but not everyone is answering the phone correctly. When you spend marketing dollars to grow your business, you cannot afford to miss any calls or answer the phone with, hey. Answer Connect is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to support new business, current clients, or urgent calls, and they send messages to you immediately. They integrate with many of today's popular CRMs, taking advantage of technology and taking one more thing off your to-do list. In addition to taking calls, they set appointments, follow up on potential clients via form fill inquiries, and make outbound calls for reinvigoration campaigns. Let Answer Connect work in your business so you can work on your business. Call Answer Connect at 800-584-0234. That's 800-584-0234. Or visit answerconnect.com slash franchise. And thanks for listening to Social Geek. Your comeback of a lifetime starts now. This is the Social Geek Radio Network.